Well, as we, uh, as we get started uh, this morning, uh, first I wanna say happy Father's Day. Uh, as a fellow father, uh, it, it's, a, it's, it's a joy. I wish you honor today. What a joy to be a father. It's one of the biggest uh, challenges um, and yet one of the biggest joys uh, that I've faced as, as a man and as a, as a Christian. Um, and so whether you, whether you had a fantastic father um, or maybe one who fell short or one maybe you feel like you've fallen short uh, in your fathering, man, or maybe you're, maybe you're missing your dad today, um, the Lord is with you. The Lord is with you in your fathering. He's with you. If you're waiting to be a father, uh, he's with you. Um, if you're just getting started or if your kids are grown, the Lord is with you. Uh, so kick back today. Hope you get to relax a little bit. Uh, kids, it's not too late. Honor your father today. Um, grown-ups, grown-up kids, call your dad. Uh, tell him you did eventually move out. Um, and he'll be, he'll be glad to know you're doing well. Um, so in the spirit of Father's Day, as we continue in our uh, journey through the book of 1 John, uh, it landed perfectly, so fitting that we landed on the traditional Father's Day passage about antichrists. So turn with me in, to 1 John chapter 2. Starting in verse 18. And for those of you who are here with us and even at home, let's stand together uh, in honor of the reading of God's word. Starting in verse 18. Children, it is the last hour. And as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come. By this we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they did not belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us. However, when they went out, they went out so that it might be made clear that none of them belonged to us. But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and all of you know the truth. I have not written to you because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it, and because no lie comes from the truth. Who is the liar, if not the one who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This one is the Antichrist, the one who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the, the Son has the Father. He who confesses the Son has the Father as well. What you have heard from the beginning is to remain in you. If what you have heard from the beginning remains in you, then you will remain in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he himself made to us, eternal life. I have written these things to you concerning those who are trying to deceive you, as for you, the anointing you received from him remains in you, and you don't need anyone to teach you. Instead, his anointing teaches you about all things and is true and is not a lie. Just as it is taught you, remain in him. You guys can grab a seat. So John's tone is sort of changing here a little. M much of what he has talked about so far has been about the hidden condition of the heart. Uh, that though we have sin, we should walk in the light. Uh, that we can't have fellowship with him and hate each other, uh, that we can't love the world and have the love of the Father. Uh, but there's a change here. He, he's getting urgent about something else. It's as though he's walked around the house, he's looked at all of the problems on the inside, but now he's getting urgent about something else. John doesn't want us to get blindsided by something outside. Something outside is coming to deceive us. So today we're gonna walk through the text our brother John is going to tell us these things. These will be our five points. Number one, don't be deceived. The end is near. Number two, don't be deceived. There are enemies in our midst. Number three, don't be deceived. The spirit of Christ is yours. 
Number four, don't be deceived. The old path is the only path. Number five, don't be deceived for he is with you. Let me pray again. Father, would you help us now as we look to your word? Uh, Would you help us to, uh, would would you admonish us us with it? Would you lead us with it? Would you comfort us with it? And Father, by your spirit, uh, would would you lead us into truth? So we need you and we pray all this in Christ's name, amen. I feel like when I was in junior high and high school, um, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a child of the 80s and 90s, and uh, there was a movement in popular Christianity uh, that almost an obsession with the end times. Uh, folks perusing the news headlines each day, like the tea leaves, trying to predict the end of the world. Uh, ah, there it is, it's happening. Uh, the end is near. Uh, there were books, uh, charts, uh, conferences, seminars, uh, special study Bibles, and oh, those great Kirk Cameron movies. Um, and, and a common question would come up in some of these things is, who is the Antichrist? And then we've got others. What, what about the rapture? What about the tribulation? What about the future millennial or present already not yet reign of Christ? Uh, what about the beast, the mark, 666, the great apostasy, all these things, but particularly the Antichrist. That's the one that kind of gets the, the, the traction. I think every generation uh, has had their figures, right? Maybe it was Hitler, uh, for some, for the reformers, the Antichrist, they thought was the Pope. In more recent days, we've seen other world leaders, Mikhail Gorbachev, uh, Saddam Hussein, fill in the name of whichever U.S. president you don't really care for. Uh, e- even the first and second centuries, uh, century Christians uh, did this with Nero and others. Um, the, this idea, I, I believe, even predates the New Testament writers, as many Jews expected some sort of strong opposing force to their Messiah, And though each generation has had some idea like this, the vision of the scriptures, I I believe, the vision of of a Jesus follower seems much different than a conspiracy theory analysis of of chart makers and headline readers. Uh, The New Testament inspired vision of the end times is one of rejoicing with hope rather than churning with anxiety. Our vision for life is one of evangelistic tenacity uh, rather than apocalyptic speculation. The Christian waits with joy to worship the lamb who was slain and the new heaven and the new earth more than they are eager to watch the news with Bibles open to Daniel. So what do we, what do, we do with this warning from John? First, let, let's heed his warning. He, he's sounding the alarm. Uh, the end is coming. Number one, don't be deceived. The end is near. Verse 18, children, it's the last hour. And as you've heard that Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come. By this we know it's the last hour. I, first, I, I love that, that John, he keeps calling them children, um, which is, it could be a, a condescending thing, but no, John used himself as a spiritual dad uh, to many in the early church. And dads, just like you look at your kids, sometimes you have, to, you have to just whistle really loud, right? Or you have to clap your hands together to get their attention and say, hey, hey, that thing right there, that's dangerous. And John's going, listen up, this is, this is the end. There's a lot of kind of boogeyman sort of words in this text, the last hour, antichrist, anointing. Um, he's saying, hey, listen up, don't take this lightly. So what does he mean by saying the last hour? Some, some would look at John and say, well, he was clearly wrong. Uh, many early Christians saw the return of Jesus as imminent. So some would say, see, John, John missed it. He was wrong. Uh, but, I, but I think it's more important that we see this in, in a theological context rather than just a chronological one. Uh, this is a significant time of human history. 
As John's writing, Jesus had come, the spirit was now here, and the eventual defeat of Satan was started. This is the already, not yet. Uh, Jesus' reign had begun, but it wasn't fully realized yet. Human history, as we know, it was, was winding toward the end. And in fact, Jesus talked about the things that would come in the last days. He said there'd be false teachers, uh, that there would be even false Christs. And John is saying, we're in that time. Man the gates, lock the front door, sound the alarm, those things are coming. So, so how long is the last hour? We don't know. God's timing is different than ours, but the ending will come. And Jesus said, no man knows the hour or the day. But John is going, we're in that time that Jesus talked about, the last hour, that those falsehoods that Jesus promised, they're here. Uh, so, so what is it exactly? There again in verse 18, as, you, as you've heard that Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come. By this we know this is the last hour. So number two, don't be deceived. There are enemies in our midst. Okay, so, so Antichrists. Antichrist literally means like what you would think. Anti-Christ, against Christ. Um, if you're a football person, it's like Dennis, the Dennis Green quote. They, they are who we thought they were. Um, sorry, that's like a very small group of people that get that. Um, there, there was a, a likely an early Christian belief in an antichrist, um, and other writers mention this. So yes, this is uh, some expectation of this coming force. Uh, so certainly uh, that's the expectation, but to the surprise of many of us, I, I would believe to many Christians, that this word antichrist doesn't even show up in the book of Revelation. Um, in fact, it's only mentioned here in 1 John. So what is John even talking about? Uh, he, he's, he is saying there is a single opposing force that is coming, but I'm telling you there is an antichrist spirit, an opposition to Jesus even now that isn't coming from outside, but it's coming from within, from those who once were or who already even are inside the church. So you can watch the news headlines if you want, but John's saying, it's already around you, it's already here. So what do we know about them in verse 19? They went out from us, but they did not belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us. However, they went out so that it might be made clear that none of them belonged to us. So about these little a antichrists, uh, these are, are people who are in the church, and now they're gone. At least some of them are now gone. Uh, proving what? That they, they never really were a part of us. They never belonged here. They were never really in the family. Now we should stop here for just a second because I think this can be confusing and it can really be easily twisted to say something else. Uh, so what are we to make of people who leave the church? What are we to make of people who leave our church? Uh, there are those who would abuse a verse like this to say, well, anyone who leaves Redeemer, clearly they weren't a Christian. Clearly they were a fraud, never walking with the Lord. We don't think that about you, Ed and Kitty. Uh, this is way too far reaching, right? Obviously we have many good friends uh, who've moved away. Uh, even people who once went to our church, but for whatever reason, whether good or, or not as good, uh, they are part of another church family now. And so some, some then others would, would then explain this verse away and say, well, John was clearly speaking uh, to an early uprising in the, in the local church. And well, this only applies to the sinister folks uh, that were around then. And, and of course, this is also naive. Our experience would tell us that. So, so, so what do we do with those whom we've watched uh, walk away? Maybe those that we would even say, certainly they walked with the Lord. They were in Bible study. They served. They worshiped with us. And now, nothing. 
In fact, I think one of the most disturbing and difficult things a Christian is faced with is the reality that, hey, I knew Bob. I knew Emily. If anyone's faith was sincere, it was his or it was hers. But what am I to think now? She's, she's, she's not simply no longer with us in my local expression of God's family. She's no longer with us, the big C church. So how do we, how do we process this? We have to consider each story, each person. It's like if, if I were to walk into a doctor and say, doc, I can't feel my leg. It's not working. It seems to be losing circulation. What would a good doctor do? It's dead, chop it off. No, that's not, that wouldn't be his first course of action. Of course not, that, that, there's no one size fits all answer. He'd have to work to figure it out. Maybe there's a nerve problem in need of repair. Maybe there's a broken bone. Maybe infection has it in. Maybe, maybe the leg is not alive. Uh, certainly, when we see Christians walking away from the faith, there are those who were merely pretenders in our midst, playing along, but never born again. There are those who maybe fooled themselves uh, and maybe others, and they're here listening, but never understanding, never believing in Jesus. And yet there are those who are born again. And though they walk away from Christ for a season, like the prodigal son, God's spirit will one day or will soon bring conviction of sin. The person who is truly in Christ, though they may for a time be separated from God's people, the Lord will one day draw them back. This is why Peter says that trials are important in First Peter. He says, in this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials. So why? So that the, the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes though that is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Trials come, and when the waves of suffering crash into someone's life, sometimes it's revealed that there really was no foundation at all, no genuine faith. Ah, but when the life is, is built on Jesus, the waves come and the foundation holds. But John isn't merely speaking about prodigals, those running away from Jesus, or just tourists in the church. He's talking about some in the church who are actively opposing Jesus. And so in contrast to those who are false, he's gonna say a little more about these false, these false folks in a minute. Um, he says this in verse 20 in contrast. He says, but you have an anointing from the Holy One, and all of you know the truth. Number three, don't be deceived. The Spirit of Christ is yours. So there's the people that have gotten it wrong about Jesus, and then there's you. This is kind of another spooky word in this passage, anointing. Uh, but to take the mystery away, this, this idea of anointing is, is always used in reference to someone who has the Holy Spirit. Interestingly, the word antichrist and anointing come from the same Greek root word. Uh, Jesus is called the Christ, the Messiah, which literally means the anointed one. And antichrists are those against Christ, against the anointed one. And you, you have the anointing. The anointing of who? Of the Holy One. Who's the Holy One? Jesus. This is what John wrote in, chapter, in John 6 in his gospel. He, he wrote of Peter's confession. To whom will we go? We've come to believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. So God's Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Jesus himself, freely given to every believer. So how does John know they have the Spirit? Because they're in Christ. They've been born again. There is no category of a Holy Spiritless Christian. 
Now, do some walk in step with the Spirit uh, more at times than others? Yes. But Redeemer, if, if you are in Christ, you have the anointing of the Holy Spirit. He is with you. You don't almost have the Spirit. It's not merely a few of you that have the Spirit and know the truth of God. You received the Spirit when you believed. And so now, what does Jesus promise us that his Spirit will do? In John 15, back in John's Gospel, uh, Jesus said this, when the Counselor comes, the one I will send to you from the Father, he will testify of me. John 16, Jesus says, when the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. We don't, we don't anoint many things these days um, unless you're an essential oils person um, and then maybe you do. Uh, anointing in the Bible uh, is just, it really, really that's really just a word of a, a rubbing something on, usually an ointment or an oil, um, particularly used in a ceremonial sense um, for the, for the you know, reigning of a king as he is, as he is uh, anointed. A king's anointing is, isn't in the oil, it's in what the oil means. That it means he's officially the ruler. So this anointing you have, it's not a reference to oil or simply to the spirit, but it's to what this means. That you're a spirit-filled child of God, full of his power, full of his truth. You're not just some knucklehead now. You're somebody. You've got the spirit of God in you. You're in the royal family. We've all got the spirit. So, so, so lift up your head. Stand up straight. You have the anointing. God's spirit is in you. And now that you're in the royal family, let me tell you about the frauds, the liars, these antichrists. Uh, they have to be removed. The royal family doesn't trifle with liars. And if they're speaking lies, they have to go. This is what he says in verse 21. I have not written to you because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it. And because no lie comes from the truth. He said, I'm not, I'm not writing to you because you don't know this stuff. You do. I'm writing because you do know it. Parents, we use that line sometimes, right? Like, I'm not telling you something you don't already know, right? So this is the line. Uh, this is what John's doing. No lie goes out from the truth. If these people were about the truth, then they wouldn't be lying about Jesus. And they wouldn't be leaving. Verse 22. Who's the liar? If not the one who denies that Jesus is the Christ, this one is the Antichrist, the one who denies the Father and the Son. Okay, so here it is. Now we're really seeing what the Antichrist is. Uh, what is this, this force seeking to destroy uh, the church? Let's just be blunt. These are liars. They're lying to you about Jesus. The Antichrist is anyone who is denying Jesus. This Antichrist spirit is any spirit that rejects the sovereign fatherhood of God over all things. These are probably Jews uh, who, who claim to convert to Christ, but now they're teaching in opposition to him, saying wrong things about him, that he didn't come in the flesh, saying that he wasn't the promised Messiah. You wanna know what makes them the Antichrist? They were wrong about Jesus. And what makes this the lie that will destroy the church? This is, this is no secondary matter. This isn't about the color of the carpet. We're actually actually picking the color of the carpet now, so we don't, it's not just an illustration anymore. Uh, this isn't about whether churches should or shouldn't wear masks. This isn't about who speaks in tongues or who does not, who volunteers at a pregnancy center versus the finance team versus meeting with my neighbors for a Bible study. This isn't about views on fighting for justice and how we must fight against racism. 
This isn't about mode of baptism or style of communion. This isn't about different convictions of how to engage in politics. We can have a wide range of understanding when it comes to doctrinal conviction or faithful Christian practice, but you get this one wrong and we're not in the family together. They may have been with us, but they were not part of us. And John is saying, these are lies. These are not family members. There's no middle ground here. No agree to disagree. No happy compromise. He's saying, don't be deceived about Jesus. No one gets the father. No one is his child without being brothers with the king of kings and the Lord of lords. Verse 23, no one who denies the son has the father. He who confesses the son has the father as well. These people aren't just enjoying the father while they dismantle the son. No, they have deceived themselves. They don't have either. So do you really want to know God as your father? Then you must have the son. He is the way, the truth, the life. There's no other way to the father. Who wrote that? John. This is where we part ways with many of the world's uh, religions and cults, many of the largest world religions, Judaism and Islam, both denying that Jesus is the son of God. Jehovah's Witnesses that would say that Jesus was a glorified man, definitely not God. Mormons who would say that Jesus was like you and me and that he became God. And many of the Eastern religions who might say that he was a good teacher, he had good things to say, but he was not the son of God. These, these antichrists, they are teaching an early Christian heresy. There's disagreement over what the actual heresy was that they were teaching, uh, whether it's docetism, that Jesus isn't truly, uh, didn't truly come in flesh and bone, um, or that some other vari variations explaining what Jesus was. John is be ex being explicit, though, about what is true. If you deny the truth of Jesus, his Christness, his messiahship, that this man from Nazareth was the Messiah, the son of God, God incarnate with flesh and bone, then you aren't in the family. And if you aren't in the family, then you don't get the father. And we are not spiritual siblings. Ah, but if you do, if you do, welcome. You're in the family. I am your brother. You are my sister, my brother. And every Sunday we, we celebrate Heavenly Father's Day because this is our family. Verse 24, what you've heard from the beginning is to remain in you. If what you've heard from the beginning remains in you, then you will remain in the Son and in the Father. John wants us to hear, fourth, don't be deceived. The old path is the only path. John's saying this isn't new. You've heard this from the moment you were born again. The gospel has been ringing in your ears since the day we were saved. This, these people are trying to show you a new way to the Father, a son of God less way, and there is no new path to God. Theirs is the path away from the faith, away from the Father. The new way is really just the old way. There is only one way. So how did you come to Jesus? What did you believe about him? Uh, when you were first saved. You believed that he was a perfect, sinless, no mere man, that he was born as a human and yet eternal, and that he forgave your sins. God alone forgives sins. 
He was sent by the Father, the eternal Son of God. If you stay with this, if you remain in this, then you will stay safely in Jesus and safely in the Father. And not just for now. Verse 25, and this is the promise that he himself made to us, eternal life. John's pretty much just dropping lines from his gospel account all throughout here. John 6, from his gospel account, chapter, or verse 40 of, of chapter 6, Jesus says, for this is the will of my Father, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him will have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. John's reiterating, this is a promise. Not good odds, not a decent chance, not like a, a mutual fund that's generally reliable over the course of time. No, you will have life with him, and it will not end. Verse 26, he says, I've written these things to you concerning those who are trying to deceive you. These people are active, right? They're recruiting, they're trying to deceive. This is not benign. Uh, and John, like a good pastor, like a good shepherd, who not only cares for the flock, but also sees the wolves coming. He's, he's speaking up. Oftentimes today, I, rather than people we know, I think wolves come via books and internet articles social media, and it's, it's 2020, right? So we, we know that by now people hate being corrected more than almost anything, being told they're wrong. But newsflash, you're wrong sometimes. I'm wrong a lot of times. Um, Amy and I, when we were in uh, college, as we were, uh, we had, were brand new married, um, and, and I had just graduated and, and we were both, we, we both over the course of about a year read a, a different book that had been given to us by a friend. And by God's grace, uh, these, these were different books, different friends, uh, by God's grace, both of us at different periods of time had people come to us and say, hey, let's talk about that book you're reading. Um, and to say, hey, this is not good. This is not true about God. Um, and so, so as pastors, as Christian friends, we, we, must do, we must do that. We must run to the tension. Often not with a sword brandished to slay a wolf, but more as, as a gentle father, as a caring mother, as a brother or sister over coffee or lunch, saying, hey, hey, tell me what you're learning. I appreciate your input in the Bible study the other day, but what you said, I, I don't know if that was quite right. Let's, let's hold it up together to the light of scripture. This is an attribute not only of a pastor, but of a faithful Christian friend, ready to correct, but always with gentleness and with care. But even better than having a good friend or a pastor, look what he says in verse 27. You have something even better. As for you, the anointing you received from him remains in you, and you don't need anyone to teach you. The last point, don't be deceived he is with you. Isn't this interesting that John would say, you don't need anyone to teach you. We need a narrator voice that goes, as he teaches them. Um, this is, he's teaching them and saying this. So what does he mean? Uh, clearly John isn't saying teachers aren't needed, right? This would contradict the weight of the New Testament. Uh, that the, the Lord gives gifts to the church. He's gifted some to be pastors and teachers. No, this is John pastorally saying to the church, guys, this is settled. This is done. You don't need me to teach you this. 
You don't need another explanation of two plus two. You don't need another science lesson to convince you of gravity. You don't need another teacher to know your sins are forgiven. That you are alive when you were dead. That the spirit is in you. All because of the perfect, sinless, in the flesh, son of God who died and is alive forever. You don't need a teacher to know that. You know it. You already believe it. You've staked your life on it. It's that moment of saying, no more words are necessary. And so like any good teacher, he's saying, you know, look to Jesus. Remember his spirit is with you. One opposed to Jesus will say, well, let's rethink this. Did God really say, does the Bible really teach I'm all for studying and, and reasoning our faith and, and walking through and examining what we believe. But, but there are entire ministries uh, built on this kind of teaching, saying things like, listen to this little snippet here of hidden information. It's gonna blow your mind. And let's deconstruct everything you know about the Bible. This is a very Gnostic way of learning. There's always some special knowledge, some hidden secrets that only a few know. And if you just deconstruct everything, what's left? C.S. Lewis said that if you see through everything, then everything becomes transparent, meaning you see nothing. To see, to see through everything means you don't see. No, John says, remember what you learned from the beginning. Stick with that. Remain in that. Stay to the old path. Stay to the old road. Stop longing for the next great sermon. Stop longing for the next great ecstatic experience. You know what's way better than a mind-blowing sermon? Jesus. You know what's way better than a powerful moment of singing? Jesus. I don't know that the exact moment it happened in the church. I think it was gradual. Uh, we see some during the Reformation and during the Great Awakening. Uh, but over time, the church gathering moved from the centrality of, of the Lord's table being central uh, to the centrality of the pulpit. And, and some, some for good reason. From the centrality of the collective voices of the saints to the centrality of the stage. From the mystery of the presence of God amongst his people as a continual means of his grace by which we, we're revived by his truth and, and by the reality of Christ to just a performance to be consumed. An appointment on my calendar, no different than the, the pre-DVR days of, of Thursday nights are for Seinfeld, Monday nights are for football, and Friday night is for all-you-can-eat catfish. Kids, you can ask your parents about that, it's a thing. Um, but Christian, the application here is yes, Know the truth. Yes, watch out for the pseudo-Christ, those who are against Jesus. But beyond these things, remain in Jesus. Remain in the truth about him, out of love for him. Rejoice in the promises from him. Long for eternal life with him. And this gathering, this truth, our communion together, these are a means of grace by which we receive the presence of our triune God. Christian, do you believe your sins have been forgiven? Do you believe the Father loves you this morning? As, as even those who are gathered at home, do you feel the presence of God with you? Do you feel his love? 
Just a couple verses later, um, I'm, I'm, I didn't get to preach this verse, but I get to say it because it's probably one of my favorite verses in the whole scripture. Uh, John 3, uh, 1 John 3, verse one. So just three verses later. See what great love the Father has given us that we should be called God's children. And we are. It's today's Father's Day. I, I'm, I'm not your dad. I hope your dad helped you to love Jesus. But as, as one of the fast pastors here, I, I feel that that sort of fatherly love for you all, like I do for my own kids. And, and, and even though some of you are like fathers to me, I, I, I want you to stay with Jesus. There's nothing the world throws at you that will satisfy, no experience, no relationship, no new knowledge, no thrill, no degree, no wealth. Nothing will compare to the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus and being with him. And the world is a setup, it's rigged. The world's narrative of happiness, wealth, money, even morality, these will become siren songs singing to you that sound like beauty and truth, but will shipwreck your life and your faith. Remain steadfast in the truth of Jesus. And this love from the Father, it is yours. Stay the course. Listen to the song of the Father as he sings over you in love. Follow the course of the Spirit as he leads you onward, teaching and sealing you for the day of redemption and rest in the power of your crucified Lord Jesus, whose resurrection empowers you to stay the course firm to the end. And let's pray together. Father, we rejoice that we have a hope that is secure because Jesus is secure. Father, the great love that you have poured out on us is not to go away because Jesus, the eternal son of God, came. He lived the life that we could not live and died in our place for our sins that we might come to you. And so, Father, we rejoice. And would you help us now to believe in him, to reject any teaching that would be opposed to him, that would question uh, the, the person and the work of Jesus. And would we cling to what we have been taught? Would we cling to your scripture? Would we cling to what the spirit has, has confirmed in us? And would we do this all for your glory? Would we rest in your kind love to us today? We pray this in Christ's name, amen.